Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Today I want to talk to you about who wins the battle, wins the war. Now you've probably heard many times in the course of conversation, it's a cliche, you may have won the battle, but you haven't won the war, etc., etc., and all that stuff. But this battle that I'm talking about, this battle that I'm discussing related to Galatians chapter 5 and 17, is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Thank you, Brother Matson, for bringing that out so well. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so the word battle in my title, who wins the battle, is a plural. It is not a single battle. It is the daily, every single day battle that we face. If you know God, if you carry his spirit, if you're seeking him, you have a battle that exists between you every single day. The devil does not take time off. He doesn't take a vacation. He's there when you're awake and he's there when you're getting ready to go to sleep. And we have this battle that exists in our bodies. It moves back and forth and it's in flux. It's never a constant. We have flesh and we have the spirit. And in some way, shape or form today, one of the two of those is winning. And it's up to you which one does. And prayer and consecration and what we're about to enter into into a period of fasting is going to put that battle to test. It's going to put the enemy to task. And that's why he's not happy. Exactly what Brother Matson said. You have to understand that we can't lose this battle. Some days we will. Some days we're going to lose the battle. But the majority of the time and most of the time and hopefully all the time, eventually, you've got to win that battle if you want to make it. Because as Paul told the Galatians, our flesh lusts, our flesh desires to do what we do. If you read in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul tells the Romans in his letter, I constantly do the things that I don't want to do, even though I know I should do the right. I want to do the wrong, but I want to do the right, but I don't. Gets a little confusing. You should check it out in the ESV or or NIV or something like that. It gets very challenging to read that because he goes back and forth and back and forth, literally embodying and exemplifying the battle that we live every day, that back and forth battle that travels. Some days we're a little more spiritual, some days we're a little bit more flesh. And what I'm saying is is that we're at a place, we're at a time in the history of the church, we're at a place with our knowledge and our understanding and the number of messages that we've heard and the anointing that God is putting on the church today. We're at a place where we can begin to have more victories in this area than we've ever had before if we put our will to it, if we put our concentration on it and we decide in our hearts, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to win these battles in our flesh. You've got to win. You understand it's not a choice. You have to win. I have to win. Jesus did not say, hey, here's a suggestion for you. Think about fasting. Think about, you know, trying it out once in a while. He didn't say that. Brother Rob, did Jesus give it as a choice? No. He said, when you fast. When you fast. I don't, my vision's not too great in the distance here, so I don't know if we've got visitors in the house today or many, but I'm going to talk a little bit about why are we making such a big deal? Why are we making such a big deal about fasting? Of course, most people just think of fasting as things you don't eat, right? You've been to the doctor, you're having surgery tomorrow, you can't, you must fast between 12 a.m. or whatever, right? There's a lot of types of fasts. There's different ways you can do it. There's multiple days. There's different things. In our flyer that we sent out, I put a recommendation in there. Go and seek yourself. Seek what God's. I said a God-directed fast. That's for you. 
What is it that you need? What is it you're struggling with in your flesh? What is it you're dealing with that you want to conquer? Some people do social media fasts. I think that's one we should all incorporate in here at some point, okay? But some people, there's refiner's fire, and there's, there's the Daniel fast, and there's, there's total and complete and utter fasting, water only, and, and, and all of those things. And some churches are doing segments. This is a four-week thing. We're going to go from, from tomorrow till February 9th, a week before our Valentine's banquet that our, our men's and ladies' ministry is putting on. So I didn't want to ruin that. So uh, I, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm joking. But... It has to be a God-centered fast. You should seek the Lord. And maybe this week you fast one way, next week you fast another way, and so on and so on. And there's lots of resources for that. We've, our prayer department has provided that information for years. We've got some of it out at the prayer table out there. But my point to you is simply this. If we become consciously aware and in a unified way, Brother Matson, in a unified way, we gather together as a church in prayer and consecration. Just like Brother Michael said, it's going to churn some things up. Brother Kylie always says, it turns up the underside of that river. Gets all that gunk that settled down in the bottom, it gets churned up. But you know what? It gets churned up into the current and it gets sent out. Why do we talk about fasting? The reason is, is because it is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of our flesh that Paul was talking in that scripture in Galatians chapter 5. It causes us to focus on something else besides nourishing our bodies. Anybody here eat a nice big meal at Thanksgiving and then jump right up and just want to jog? Right? Okay, somebody's laughing. These guys jog right after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sister Miranda, you're laughing. I see. She's going, I sure did. I went like, I'm so ashamed of myself now. No, just kidding. But the point, obviously, is that when you eat a meal, when you're consuming, you're nourishing the flesh. You're taking care of the flesh, right? And it makes you sleepy and it makes you tired. And, and not always, but it has that general effect. And the reason we, don't fa we fast, we do something that denies, that takes something away from the flesh, is it causes a focus. It can cause a focus on the things that are spiritual. It can help us to break things. It can help us to conquer things in our lives. And so denying food or, uh, food or sugar or, or meat or whatever it is or social media, whatever that thing is that affects you in the flesh, you have the opportunity to conquer through fast. Now, some of us incorporate some element of fast in every week of our lives. And that used to be well preached and thought of throughout the church for many years. When I was coming up, it was just a thing, which is your fast day right? What if we got back to, to that? I'll leave that in your hands. The battle between the flesh and the spirit, as I said, is constant. It exists in our body always, every day. When your eyes open up in the morning, the enemy is standing there and he is waiting to begin to influence you from the moment you wake up in the morning. As you begin your morning routine, you start to head off to your job or to your school or whatever it is that you do during the course of the day or your homeschooling, your home care, whatever it is that you do, he's standing there and he's waiting. How can I influence you today? What can I do to trip you up? Because he is directly attached to the flesh. That is his medium. That is the artwork that he works within. And he's waiting and he's ready. And if we're not consciously aware, if we don't understand that the enemy is ready to use us, and Michael said it, I believe Brother Matson said it this morning, you can be used of the enemy and not even realize it. So what does that fasting do for us? It makes us more consciously aware. It makes us more spiritually aware. 
It puts us in a focus that says, okay, I'm doing this for God today. I'm going to defeat the enemy today. I'm not going to be used today. And, I'm going to be, and, and this is going to allow God to move in my life and the lives of others like never before. The enemy doesn't sleep. He doesn't take vacations. He has no mercy. He doesn't give you do-overs. He is merciless. And so if we get that into our minds, into our understanding, that through the flesh he operates, through our minds and our bodies, he operates and does his will or attempts to do his will, and you get a little angry about it, and you finally decide some righteous indignation is going to jump up inside you and say, you know what, I don't want to be used by the enemy. I'm tired of seeing things go wrong in my life. I'm tired of blaming it on somebody else. I'm tired of what the enemy is doing to my folks and my mom and my sister and my brother and my neighbor and whatever else it is. If you get a little bit of that righteous indignation inside you, and you start to understand that you do have power over this, that you have a way that you can get to the enemy and say, no more. I am not your medium artist of evil. I am not the pencil or the paintbrush that you can use to paint your plan because I have the power of the spirit that's inside me and I'm going to deny my flesh. I'm going to deny the things that you want to operate in. See, if the gas tank is empty for the enemy, his car ain't going nowhere. And if you get a little bit of righteous indignation inside you and you say, you know what, I'm not going to get used like that. I'm tired of being used that way. I want to be righteous for God. I want to do the things that he wants me to do. Just what Paul said in in the book of Romans. How many of us have goals, resolutions every January? You know what, I'm going to start getting up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm going to pray for an hour. I'm going to run an extra mile at the gym. And then about six weeks later, you're going, why didn't I do that? There's a famous book in the business world. Some of you perhaps have seen it. It's called The Five-Minute Rule. Uh, the author's name is Robbins. And, and uh, uh, she says in, in the book, she, or five-second rule, excuse me, five-second rule. It's not where you drop food on the floor and you pick it up and blow it off. And, say, and you yell, five-second rule, and it's okay. There's nothing on it. In, in, in the, thank you, brother. Thank you. In the five-second rule, basically what she says is that our minds immediately, immediately when we get a thought, our minds start working counter to us. Now, in her view, she's a secular author. I don't think I, she doesn't purvey any Christian or religious thought in her stuff that I can see. But in her mind, that's just the mind, the flesh, the, the, the brain just works against us in those areas. You wake up, that alarm clock goes off at that 4.30, and you begin to justify. And he goes, well, you know, five more minutes. That's what the snooze does, right? Yeah, the devil created the snooze bar, by the way, or inspired it anyway. So she says in there, what you have to do is you have to be consciously aware. She's talking about a focus, a clarity on this particular issue. And so when that alarm clock goes off and you hit the button and you know that you're supposed to get up and get into that shower because you're supposed to be on your way to the, to the workout or the prayer time or whatever it is that you're doing, that immediately your brain begins to work against you. It's counterproductive. It wants comfort. It wants to feed the flesh. And so her idea is that you begin a countdown. You're laying there in your bed, and it's 4.30 and 30 seconds, and 4.30 and 45 seconds, and pretty soon you shut it off. Exactly. You shut it off. And you, you know what, tomorrow, I'm going to get started on this tomorrow. Because, yeah, I, I was up a little late last night, and I need a little rest. So what she recommends is that as soon as that thing goes off and you wake up, you begin a five-second countdown. Five, four, three, 
two, one, and you jump out of bed. She literally says, vocally, count it out. And what she's talking about is a disciplining tool or a factor that you can use to stop yourself from not doing the things you want to do, Paul, and doing the things you know you should. And it's really excellent. It's a very good read. I recommend it to anyone. Uh, it has really impacted me in terms of many aspects that I want to do better, and I, and I do seek to continue to do better. We know, and brother, again, Brother Matson, I'm going to keep referring to Brother Matson because I'm subliminally trying to get you guys that haven't, weren't here this morning and don't come on Sunday, Sunday mornings, really encourage that because it was a really, really good message. So I'm going to annoy you like crazy about his message because it was so good. He said, and he quoted Ephesians, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. We don't operate in things. That, that activity that happens when you wake up at 4.30 in the morning is not a matter of pulling out a sword or, or doing some sort of a battle right there. It's in here. It's not carnal. It's where the enemy operates, right? And so that stronghold could be that issue that you're facing right now, that problem that you're dealing with, that habit that you can't break. And I'm just going to say, maybe there's that sin, there's that sin, that favorite sin that you just can't seem to shake. That's a stronghold. And I'm saying to you now what we're about to inaugurate and what we're going to start to head into here for 2020 is we're start going to start to work our way into fasting and prayer and consecration and more prayer. If you noticed on that Bible board that I put out there, I added a little caveat that was never there before, and that was attend one prayer meeting a month. Here. Family prayer. There's two of them. There's two Mondays and two Fridays. So if you want to qualify for the Bible reading, you got to be here for one a month. Because we're going to inaugurate this, this consecration time, this fasting time, and we're going to start to take down strongholds. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that we can begin to take down strongholds if we put this focus, if we hear the word of God and we understand that we're going to get a hold of the enemy and say, you are not going to operate in this medium anymore. Because we're going to sacrifice, we're going to deny the flesh, and we're going to spend time in prayer, and we're going to see miracles happen in 2020 in this church. Strongholds are coming down. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we've got to be conscious. Right now in the world, there's this idea that's called woke. Anybody hear that? W-O-K-E, woke. Hashtag woke. Well, I'm not going to get into the politics behind it, but essentially there's a particular classification of individuals. The United States of America decided that we need to be woke, and we need to stand up and realize that we've been used and abused and neglected and left behind and all this other stuff. Well, we need to be woke. We need to be consciously walking through our walk with God. It can't be just running through the mill, doing the motions, doing the things, and saying, okay, yep, that was good enough. If you're aware, if you look at that and you sit down, write it down. Brother Marty, if he was here, he would tell you one of the most powerful things that you can do in the course of your life as a leader, as a person, as a Christian, is to write things down. Write it down. What are your strongholds? What are you fighting? What are you dealing with? Put it on paper and get it in front of you and identify it every single day in your prayer time. If you put that focus on, if you are consciously aware that every single day the enemy wants you to fail at that stronghold and you're consciously aware of it and you get that righteous indignation in you and say, no, I'm not going to let him do it. No, I'm not going to let this thing go unbroken. You will win. I guarantee you. In the book of 2 Chronicles, starting at chapter 20, you can go there if you want. I'm going to blaze through a little bit. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
This is the story of the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. Is that right? Is it Jehoshaphat? Is that right? <laughs> Jacob gets me on that one every once in a while. The story of the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is about to go into a situation where he's going to be at war. And there's three enemies that are coming after him. Two of the enemies he's faced before, one, he does not know. It's a new enemy. And he becomes fearful. Folks, I wanted you to understand that battle that exists with us every single day that we battle through, we're constantly warring against. You will have fear. You will have anger. You will have frustrations. You will still operate in the flesh. That does not make you a bad person. Do not let the enemy condemn you over the things that are operating in your flesh that you cannot totally control. But what the key is, is what do you do with it? How do you respond to it? How do you react to it? That's the key. That's the defining line between a true Christian and somebody who's just floundering is what do you do with what the devil does to you and how you respond to it? you got to be consciously aware. you got to be woke. You have to understand what he's going to do. you got to know your enemy. Jehoshaphat did not know one of these enemies. He was concerned. It came to pass after this also, verse 20, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Really totally off the chart thing here. Doesn't... I'm just going to share this with you because it shows how iniquity and things can pass through time. Moab and Ammon are the children of Lot's daughters. When they slept with him in sin to carry their father's name. Think about that. That iniquity that carried through and now a king of Judah is faced with that battle because of the sin that they committed with their father. Now, Jehoshaphat had defeated Ammon and Moab before. He knew how to defeat them. He had confidence in God. How many of you have had seen God do things in your life and you said, yes, God did that, healed me? You can put a hand up. This isn't rhetorical. God healed me of something. God took out an enemy. God did something for my finances. God brought me back from something I thought I was lost. Now you know that enemy, right? If you get sick again that way or if you have that situation again, you've got a confidence in you. you. I know God did that for me. But what the enemy wants to say is, I've got something new for you. And he's not going to help you this time. That's a lie from the devil that comes in every one of these situations. Be prepared for it. Whatever your stronghold is, whatever it is that you're trying to conquer, he's going to tell you, oh, not this time. This one's bigger than you. This one's bigger than God. Verse 2 says, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea and on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hezazah Tanamar, which is in Enjedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. It's okay to be fearful, folks. It's okay to fear the unknown. It's okay to fear what's going to happen with our church in 2020. It's okay to have that fear. It's what you do with that fear. It's how you respond to it. I want to show you how Jehoshaphat, honoring God, responded the right way. It goes on to say after it says Jehoshaphat feared, and then it says, and set himself to seek the Lord. And what did he do? Somebody tell me. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. 
And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Brother Matson, does that sound like unity to you? Because I think the word all in that scripture means all. What I'm saying, folks, and I'm putting the call out to you. Some of you may have said, you know, I don't do fasts. That's not my thing. I don't never really subscribe to that. I hope not. I hope that's not the case. But I'm putting the clarion call out to this congregation. You make no mistake. The enemy does not want this thing to be successful. The enemy does not want this church to see people saved. As a matter of fact, he'd be happy if this thing was shut down. Doors closed, lights turned out. Be very joyous if that happened. We're going to start turning soil over. We're going to start doing things that the enemy is not going to be happy about. And I want to tell you, if, you can, if, if we can get all, all involved in this fast, I'm putting the Jehoshaphat call out. I want to call all of Judah to a fast together, all the cities. Verse 14 then says, I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, verse 10 says, And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Now Mount Seir was the one he didn't know. Mount Seir was some strange people. It's a, it's a long story. You've heard me preach a little bit about this before. They were, they were called, it translates out as the great hairy ones or strange people from, a, from this mountain far away. Whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Jehoshaphat had never faced the children of Mount Seir. He didn't know how to face this enemy. And fear set in. Listen to how he pleased to God. In verse 11, behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession. He's talking to God now. Which thou hast given us to inherit. They're trying to take the land. Verse 12, our God, oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Michael alluded to it in his message. There are some things, and I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. There are some things that you don't have the power to conquer on your own. Jehoshaphat was not being faithless. He wasn't, he wasn't like forgetting God and saying, oh, I don't have any way to do this. He was admitting to God, I don't know how to do this one, God. I need you. I need you in this one. I can't ride this one alone. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was pleading to God. Verse 13, and all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Again, everybody. You know, husbands and wives, you could fast together. You could work with each other. You could support one another in this. And perhaps even the children. Maybe we, uh, maybe we do a social media fast, TV screen, or monitor screen fast for our little ones and get them involved with this. There's nothing wrong with that. Verse 14, then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Immediately as they inaugurated the fast, the spirit of the Lord moved into the congregation, ready to start doing what God does. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat, Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. I love this line. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Turn it over to him. 
Say, God, I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. I've been screwing this thing up a long time. God, this is your battle, and I believe that you're going to win it. Because if you turn it over to him, he'll honor it. Pray, sacrifice, fast, and turn it over to God. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, and you've heard this before, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. I'm nobody, folks. I'm nobody from nowhere. I got nothing but what God has given me. But I am promising you from this pulpit, I'm standing here committing to you from this pulpit that if you do this, if you identify those strongholds, if you identify those challenges, and you write it down, and you begin a time of prayer and sacrifice, and you say, yes, for the next month, I am going to sacrifice, I will fast, I will commit this to God, and you are woke and consciously aware that you are doing spiritual battle every single day, I promise you, you will come out victorious on what you're trying to accomplish. Jehoshaphat and Judah fell and worshiped and sang praises in verses 18 through 21. You know why it said he fell? He really literally went to the ground. He humbled himself. He was so thankful. He was so appreciative. He couldn't even stand. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been there where the Spirit of God is just pouring out at you at this altar at another place? And it's just so powerful and God's grace is just, it's just soaking through you. And you get to the place where you can't even stand. And you just fall at your knees and just say, God, thank you. Thank you so much for the grace that you give me. That's what Jehoshaphat was feeling. I know it. In verse 22, it says, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Here's the neat part. Listen to this now. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. God turned the enemies on each other. Moab and Ammon, Ammon, the products of a heinous sin, that had occurred long before this event, turned on the hairy people of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, here's the best part, every one helped to destroy the other. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked into the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies, fallen to the earth, and none escaped. I'm looking for the day at the end of this process, or I should maybe I should say at the beginning of this process, when we really get a hold of this, I'm looking for the day when my brothers and sisters are step up and say, Brother Cordell, I want to testify. Because I went and I looked into the camp of this stronghold, and there was nothing but dead bodies. I went to the doctor to get that diagnosis, and there was nothing there. We had this financial thing that was going to tear us down. We were on the brink of disaster, and God swooped in, and something happened, and he brought us back from the brink. 
I want to hear from you. I want you to hear from each other. I want people that need to have their faith built up. People that need to understand that God is real and powerful and capable and able and willing to help you. I want to hear them know that he is there and he's helped you. That testimony is going to build faith in people that's going to make them powerful. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can't do as a church when that kind of thing catches fire. When there's enough of you who are so full of faith and full, so full of that understanding and knowledge that God is capable and willing, you'll never face another Mount Seir. Every Ammon and Moab that comes into your life, you will be powerful. That's what I want to hear. Verse 25, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in the abundance both riches and with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And there were three days in the gathering of the spoil. It was so much. See, once, once the battle's over, once you've made it through the sacrifice, once you've fought the battle, there's going to be spoil for you. There's going to be blessing that's coming. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be money or jewels or any of that. That's not the point. The point is, is you're going to be enriched in here. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be walking taller. And here's the real key. You're going to start to affect people around you. You're not going to say to yourself anymore, you know, God's, God's never going to use me. I, I can't witness to people. No one's going to come to Jesus because of me. My neighbor won't listen to me. My coworker won't talk to me. No, no more of that. The enrichment isn't going to be jewels and gold and all that. Well, maybe it is. Maybe. <laughs> Who am I to say? Maybe God's going to dump a treasure chest on you. But the point is, is that the enrichment that you're going to get is in here. Strength and courage and fire. I'd much rather have that, by the way. I'll take power in Jesus' name, power and the ability to reach souls over precious jewels and gold and all that stuff anyway. All that does is rust and corrupt anyhow. And it doesn't do any good for you in the long run, no ways, because it turns a lot of people into to really not good people. I don't want any of that stuff. I want the stuff that's going to make me walk tall, stand rich and enriched in my heart and my abilities, because here's what I want in my humble of humble, in what I really want to do for God. And when I pray for somebody and they say they're sick, God, let them be healed through me. That's what I want. I want to see the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate in my church. Those of you that desperately want to see your family members saved, people healed, things that happen in the miraculous, that's what God has for the riches for you. Forget gold and jewels and silver and all that stuff. Use me, God. Use me to see someone healed. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to set the stage here for you. For just a minute, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 16 is the chapter where Jesus comes out of Caesarea Philippi and he speaks to the apostles and he's testing them. He's looking to see, do they understand? Do they get who he is yet? This is the chapter, and, and again, Brother Matson, where Jesus told Peter, you're the rock that I'm going to build this foundation on. And, and so in 16, is a very profound, incredibly important event because he asks them, who do they say the son of I, the son of man, am. And, and, Jesus, and Jesus asked this question, and some of them pop up and say, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're John the Baptist, return, and Moses, whatever. They give all these guesses. They're, they don't get it. But there's one man in the group, full of the Holy Ghost, stands up, or inspired by the Holy Ghost, stands up, and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells them you're blessed because it's not flesh and blood that told you. It's my God, my presence, my glory. And then he professes that I'm going to build my church on you. You are the rock, the little rock. He's the big rock. 
And then he gives them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You're witnessing to somebody and you're debating over Acts chapter 2. The world knows. Some of, these, some of these churches that have fluffed out the book of Acts, they know what you're going to say. Oh, you're Pentecostal. You're going to come at me with Acts 2, 2.38. No, I'm not. I'm going to come at you with Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to tell you how Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, handed the keys to the kingdom of heaven to a man named Peter and said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I think I said that backwards, but you get the point. That's where it starts. Because then when Peter's the man who stands up and says, repent and be baptized, then we go to Acts chapter 2 and 38. This all happens in Matthew 16. As they go into Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes John, Peter, and James up into a mount. Now, it's believed to be Mount Hermon, I believe is the mountain I think it is. It doesn't say in scripture, but it's near Caesarea Philippi. And he takes them up there and he's transfigured. You ever hear the Mount of Transfiguration? It's a weird deal what goes on here, okay? It, I get it if you read through the scripture and you understand. It's just kind of a strange thing because he takes them up there and Jesus just stands there and goes, oh, and he becomes glorified. See, because the real miracle isn't the fact that he shows his glory and shows that he's God. The real miracle is that he walks around all the time hiding that fact in flesh. It's got to be kind of tough. The flesh side of Jesus going, holding back, trying not to let the glory fly out. But the Bible says that it became white as light. One version of the synoptic gospel says like lightning. And, and, and the Shekinah glory surrounded him. And who shows up but Moses and Elijah? I mean, this is a, this is, he just takes them up there and whoa, all this stuff explodes in this miraculous. But why? Because he's revealing his glory to these key individuals. Why did Moses and Elijah show up? Moses and Elijah showed up because Moses represents the law, the, the, the carnal that can die and be called up into glory through death. And Elijah is the representation of the, of the rapture the, that's going to come. The ones that aren't going to die and be called up into glory. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents redemption. And then they disappear. God's, Jesus is talking to them for a while and they disappear. So Peter, James, and John, excuse me, Peter, James, and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John, I'm right, are with them. They come down out of the mount, verse 14, Matthew 17 and 14, it says this, and when they came, they were come to the multitude, so they come out of the mountain. This is, by the way, this is a type and shadow of Moses coming down from Sinai, okay, so very similar situation here. He comes down, and he meets this multitude of people. And there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. Okay, that translates essentially, in today's terms, he was epileptic. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that has epilepsy is, is a demon, or has a demon. That's not what that means. In this particular case, this was a very demonic aspect of what was happening to this young man. And sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? In other words, how long am I going to wait till you get this? How long do I have to wait? When are you going to get it? You just saw me turn into a glorified beaming ball of light. Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart, because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, took him aside, 
and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Now, do you believe that they really just didn't believe that they could do it? Because earlier, we know, he gave them the power to do this. And they did it. Peter and John, wasn't it Peter and John at the gate beautiful, said to the man sitting there, silver and gold have I none, but this I give unto thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The guy stood up and walked. They had the ability. So was it really unbelief in the sense that they just didn't believe they could do it? Of course not. They had already done it. But let me read on and I'll explain. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Here's what I believe. This lunatic, this epileptic, full of a demon, was bigger and badder than they have ever experienced. The man at the gate beautiful was just simply crippled. They just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, and he did. What they were facing was something bigger and badder than they knew how to face. They lost their belief. Their faith failed them. See, our faith operates in a state of flux. It's like this. It's not constant. It's not. As much as you might say, I'm a very faithful person and I've always believed. Get cancer. Tell me. See your child struggling in a health issue. Like this. They were facing something they'd never faced before. They were facing the people of Mount Seir. You understand what I'm saying? And they lost their faith. How do we avoid that? How do we avoid that happening? Brother Brown, how can we avoid it? Brother Carlson, Brother Cordell, how do we avoid that? Jesus gives them the lesson and he says, you don't have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can move this mountain. Do you really honestly believe that Jesus wants us to have faith that we could go over to Asia and say, hey, Kilimanjaro, head on over to Italy. Like, and tides would be like chained, there'd be hurricanes and like monsoons would happen because we'd re- offset. Of course not. He isn't expecting us to take Everest and move it into Europe. What he's saying is that you're going to face some mountains in your life. Anybody facing some mountains right now? I see some hands. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move it. Well, then why can't we? Why do we struggle with that stronghold? Why do we struggle with that thing that's so big in our lives? Look what his answer is. This is why I'm so excited. I'm so excited about calling my people together, calling my church together for this time of prayer and sacrifice. I'm going to get this right. It'll be later on after I'm home. I'll get it right. Prayer and consecration and sacrifice and fasting. He says, nothing shall be impossible to you. Verse 21, how be it, this kind, this enemy, this stronghold, this Mount Seir, this Mount Everest, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. He taught him a new lesson. Earlier in the, in the Gospels, you can stand with me this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm about done. Early in the Gospels, Jesus is, is challenged by some of the disciples and some of the the publicans and the Pharisees around them. He says, hey, how come your people, we're all fasting. How come your people aren't fasting? What's the deal with that? And Jesus basically says, hey, man, the bridegroom's still with them. Do you, do you, do you, you know, start having the, 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 the celebration party of them leaving? 
while they're still there? No. And what he was saying is, I'm still here. But he just laid the groundwork for it. Some things that you're going to face, some things that you're going to deal with are only going to come by prayer and fasting. If you believe. If you just have the grain of a mustard seed worth of faith. If you believe. The great Charles Spurgeon said, he that would overcome the devil in certain instances must first overcome heaven by prayer and conquer himself by self-denial. Folks, I want you to think this morning before we come down to the altar. I want you to think this morning. What's the stronghold that you're facing? What is our church facing? What is the potential? By the way, this isn't all bad. And I don't want to go into this season thinking, oh, we've got this terrible burden. Don't start putting ashes on yourself and, and sackcloth and, and all these things. I'm telling you, there's awesome things that are coming. But they're big things that we have to overcome. And in our unbelief, we're thinking to ourselves, some of you, well, they're not going to come through me. My, my friend's not going to come to church. That's a lie. Yeah, oh, I'm not going to ever be effective in the kingdom. I can't teach a Bible study. That's a lie. There's good things that are coming. Those are strongholds too. The things that I know that I can do. The things that I know that God is capable of through me if I just believe. Those are strongholds too. Don't make this thing all about a negative. Don't make it all about a sin, all about the bad stuff. That's important too. But what I'm saying that the potential this body has, the potential that we have through Jesus Christ to make a powerful impact in this community is insurmountable. It's unbelievable. It's hard for us to conceptualize in our minds. Those are strongholds too. Write those things down with me. Focus on that unity that Brother Matson was talking about. Unity is a stronghold, Brother Matson. It's a good one. See, we can put up strongholds against the enemy too. And the stronghold is, is I love you. And you, and you, and you, and you. And I want to unite with you as your servant, as a servant of the Most High God, to see this community saved. To see your friends and your relatives, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you care about saved. That's a stronghold. And it's one the enemy can't defeat if we're united. In Jesus' name. Lord God, we're so very thankful for your word. God, I thank you for the inspiration that you're laying across this congregation right now, the thoughts that are moving through these minds. Lord, the tug in the heart that's there right now with some people in this congregation, the ones that are feeling it, that tingle, that twinge, that knowledge, that understanding, yes, I gotta do this. It's a good thing. It's a drawing that you're putting into their hearts right now, God. I'm thankful for the work as you move through this congregation in the Holy Ghost. God, I'm thankful for the reaching that you're doing this moment. I'm thankful for the thoughts that you're putting into people's minds this moment, inspiring them. That little seed planted of belief is right there. It just got put into somebody's heart, somebody's mind. Somebody just said, yes, I can do it. In 2020, I believe I can. I can be something for God through him. I can beat this stronghold through him. It's happening right now. The altar is open. You can come down and get a hold of it. Claim it. Put your stake in the ground. Enter the holy of holies and say, yes, God, call me. Use me. Let me be effective for this thing. Let me be powerful in you, God, for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the work you're doing amongst these awesome people right now. Lord, I pray a blessing on my church. I pray a blessing on these people who love you and want to see great works done. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, 
please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.